Exodus chapter 6 verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For by a strong hand shall he let them go, and by a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And that strong hand is the hand of God. 2. And God spoke unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. 3. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, YHWH, I made me not known to them. God is saying, I gave them a name that they could not pronounce. And today, people, they add vowels to it so that they can say Yahweh. Yahweh actually is not the correct pronunciation, but it's the only pronunciation that a human can make because we have to use vowels when we speak. We can't say Yahuwah. It's Y-H-W-H. And that's pretty much impossible to say. That's why people stuck the vowels in there and turned it into Yahweh. He said, they can't even say my name. And that's why he calls himself I am. Because we can say I am. And it really perfectly describes who he is. As far as a name name, the only thing he's given us is Y-H-W-H. Four, and I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their sojournings, wherein they sojourned. That land originally belonged to the son of Ham, but Ham was cursed and Abraham was blessed. And so Abraham is now inheriting the land of Canaan. Five, and moreover, I have heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. 6. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. In the Bible, judgment means when God takes care of those who have been hurt. In a Western tradition, we think of judgment as punishment for the guilty. And it is, but what it really is in its core and what you see it being in the Bible time after time after time, it's restoring the wounded and the weak. God thinks of judgment as helping the wounded. From God's perspective, it's about restoration. It's not really about punishment. Punishment is included because when he restores the innocent, the guilty do end up getting punished. But the focus is really on restoration. And that's why he says, um, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. What God is thinking about is redemption, not punishment. 7. And I will take you and me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Egypt in the Bible represents sin, and the slavery that the Hebrews were under in Egypt represents slavery to sin. The bondage that they were under represents bondage to sin. All of us are in bondage to sin. We can't get out until the blood of Jesus Christ comes into our lives and sets us free from that bondage because the demonic influences that are from Satan chain us to our sin. And that's why people are compulsive sinners and they just can't stop. Even when they want to stop, they can't stop. This is all in an analogy for salvation. Let's talk for a minute about anthropology because pretty much everything we've read about in the Bible up to this point is all proven by archaeology and anthropology. Mainstream archaeologists will not admit it, but there is massive, overwhelming evidence of everything that we've read about in the Bible so far. 
There's overwhelming evidence of the flood, geological evidence of the flood. There's overwhelming geological evidence that Sodom and Gomorrah and the, all the circuit cities in the Jordan were burned with sulfur that came from the sky. The sulfur balls are still there. Noah's Ark, the imprint of Noah's Ark, is still resting on the mountains of Ararat. The tomb of Esther is still in Iraq. The tomb of Abraham still exists. The tomb of Rachel still exists, but archaeologists won't admit it. Also, there is evidence of Joseph and the Israelites being in Egypt around 1750 BC, and when they were there, they were called the Hyksos. There's lots of archaeological evidence that they existed in the same place that was called Ramses when the Old Testament was written. But when Joseph's people lived there, it was called Avaris. That was the ancient place in Goshen where the Israelites live, and they were called Hyksos by the Egyptian. And there's still ruins of Joseph's original tomb and the original tombs of his brothers. But his tomb, of course, is empty because his, his bones were taken out when the Israelites left Egypt. These aren't stories that are made up. This is very factual. There's evidence of a lot of stuff in the New Testament, too. 8. And I will bring you in unto the land concerning which I lifted up my hand to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a heritage. I am the Lord. 9. And Moses spoke so unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for impatience of spirit and for cruel bondage. And isn't that true of all of us? When God makes us a promise, but we're in a really bad place in life, we're so impatient that we can't believe God. If it doesn't happen now, we don't believe it's going to happen at all. When we have our back against the wall, say we're in an abusive situation, or we're dealing with poverty, or a life-threatening illness, we become so much like caged animals that nothing can give us peace. And so that's how the Israelites were at this time. Even though God had promised to set them free, they didn't believe it. All they could see was where they were at that point. They were still slaves. And they're just kind of like, we'll believe it when we see it type of attitude. 10. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, 11. Go and speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that he let the children of Israel go out of his land. 12. And Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me, who am of uncircumcised lips? Moses says he has uncircumcised lips, but we know that Moses himself is circumcised. Babies always got circumcised when they were eight days old. He was already circumcised before she even put him in the little ark and set him on the river. But here he says he's of uncircumcised lips. In the New Testament, circumcision is of the heart. It's a spiritual thing. And it means that you have repented of your sins. You want to follow God. You've humbled yourself before God. Uncircumcised lips would mean the infirmity of his speech impediment, whatever it was. He was not a good speaker. Because when you're circumcised, you're made clean. Physical circumcision makes you clean in your private area. It's a lot easier to keep it clean. And then circumcision of the heart means that your heart is clean and pure and you don't want to sin anymore. You repent of your sins. So uncircumcision of the lips would mean that his lips can speak cleanly and freely, which they can't. And he says, if my own people won't hear me, how is Pharaoh going to hear me? 13. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and unto Aaron and gave them a charge unto the children of Israel and unto Pharaoh king of Egypt to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. 
So basically, God just doesn't listen to Moses. He just says, you're going to say it anyway. And this is because God is greater than our weaknesses. When he tells us to do something, he also enables us to do it. Now the chapter is going to go into the genealogy of the people who are going to be getting ready to leave um, Egypt. 14. These are the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak and Palu, Hezron and Carmi. These are the families of Reuben. Those are the clans within the tribe of Reuben. 15. And the sons of Simeon, Jemuel and Jamin and Ohad and Joaquin and Zohar and Shaul, the son of a Canaanitish woman. These are the families of Simeon. 16. And these are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations, Gershon and Kohath and Merari. And the years of the life of Levi were 130 and 7 years. 17. The sons of Gershon, Libni and Shammai, according to their families. 18. And the sons of Kohath, Amram and Zihar, and Hebron and Uziel. And the years of the life of Kohath were 130 and three years. 19. And the sons of Merari, Mali and Mushi. These are the families of the Levites, according to their generations. 20. And Amram took him, Jochebed, his father's sister, to wife, and she bore him, Aaron and Moses, and the years of the life of Amram were 130 and seven years. This is when in the really olden times when people still got married to their near relatives because the gene pool was more pure. But as soon as the Israelites leave Egypt, God is going to set down the law that you can no longer marry your near relatives. But when Moses' relatives did it, it was not a sin because God had never told them that up to that point. 21. And the sons of Izar, Korah, and Nepheg, and Zikri. 22. And the sons of Uziel, Mishael, and Elzaphan, and Sithri. 23. And Aaron took him Elisheba, the daughter of Aminadab, the sister of Nashon, to wife, and she bore him Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. 24. And the sons of Korah, Aser and Elkanah, and Abisaph. These are the families of the Korahites. Now, so far, we've read about Reuben's family, and then it started telling us about Levi's family. And it's spending a lot of time talking about the Levites because Moses is from the tribe of Levi, and this is the priestly tribe. We just read in verse 21 about Korah, which is one of the clans in that tribe. And later on, after Moses leaves Egypt, Korah will come against Moses and challenge his leadership. And Korah will say, basically, I'm a better Levite than you are. I should take your place. And God is going to get really mad when Korah does that. 25. And Eleazar, Aaron's son, took him, one of the daughters of Putiel, to wife, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites, according to their families. 26. These are the Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, according to their hosts. This chapter has just explained to you the genealogy of Moses, starting with Levi, who was one of the sons of Jacob. 27. These are they that spoke to Pharaoh king of Egypt to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt. These are that Moses and Aaron. So it's telling us twice, this is the very same Moses and Aaron who spoke to the king of Egypt, is the ones whose genealogy we just listed. Genealogy is important in the Bible because it establishes God's promise, because he did promise this specific family that from them would come salvation for the entire world, and that is Jesus Christ, and Jesus will descend from this specific family but not the Levite line. He'll descend from the Judah line. 28. And it came to pass on the day when the Lord spoke unto Moses in the land of Egypt, 
29, that the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, I am the Lord, speak thou unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I speak unto thee. 30, and Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? Now it sounds like the Bible is repeating itself, and you notice that happens a lot in scripture, and some people say, well, how lame. But every time the Bible repeats itself, it doesn't repeat itself in exactly the same way as what it said before. It always adds a little extra detail or says it in a slightly different way. And there's always a reason. If you study hard, you'll figure out the reason why it says something more than once. It's kind of like bookends. Sometimes the Bible will make a statement, give you a bunch of information about that statement, and then make that same statement again at the end after all the information is said. And that's what you're seeing here is bookends. First, the Bible said that Moses said, I can't do this. I have uncircumcised lips. Then it tells you all of his genealogy. Then it says this is the very same Moses whose genealogy we just gave you who said that that he had uncircumcised lips, and he is the same Moses who was sent to Pharaoh. That way there's no doubt whatsoever that later on that people can say, well, it was a different Moses who said that. Because you know how people love to twist the scripture and come up with all kinds of wacky theorems. But if you read the Bible carefully, you're not allowed to come up with wacky theorems. Because it restates, it uses bookend statements, it adds more detail each time it tells you something. When we read the books of Kings and Chronicles, it's basically the same information told to you twice. But when we read it in Chronicles the second time, we'll get new details that weren't in the books of Kings. The Bible is awesome this way. It actually establishes how factual it is, and it keeps people from twisting the truth unless they just want to flat out lie, which a lot of people do. That's why you need to read your Bible for yourself, because a lot of people will tell you it says things that it never said. And that concludes Exodus chapter 6.